As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookie End at the end of a season, the last one after I don't know how many podcasts we've done since the season started or even how many we've done since the previous season started um, in pre-season. Uh, it's been a long time. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, we're brought to you, of course, by The Athletic. My name is John. With me is Mike. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. Whatever it is. I know you, you sounded a little bit jaded there, John. I'm just tired. Sort of- I know what you mean, and I, and I felt a little bit tired as well, to be honest. I, thought, right, I was thinking I'll be glad when the season's over. I feel a bit tired. And then I got home today, and Arlo's face, when I saw him, he was so pleased that, you know, it felt that this was the end for Arlo of this successful season. A huge smile on his face. He started talking about us being on match today. He said that was a really good win. We beat Swansea there. They're at this place in the table. So the enthusiasm that um, I was greeted with when I got back through the door was absolutely joyous. And I think it's just um, driven home what a brilliant season it's it's been and what a huge achievement it's been for Watford. So good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everybody. Watford are back in the Premier League. The season's done and we've got a summer of excitement to look forward to, haven't we? We do. Uh, and of course, we're, in this podcast, we're going to look back uh, and count down our top 10 things of the season we have just experienced. Uh, Jason's here as well. All right, Jace. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's it's just nice to not be sweating on the final day of the season, isn't it? It's, well, it's, it's, it's raining, Jason. It wasn't hot and sweaty today. <laughs> sure. That hasn't got that end of season feel to it, that's no. for sure. It is quite exciting to be involved in the last day of the season, but sometimes you're just too nervous. And when you've got the job done and dusted with two games to go, that just makes the end of season game a little bit more of a celebration. You can enjoy it just that little bit more. Yeah, because it, it is amazing, you know, when you look back at the season, uh, you know, 91 points, which is more than we've ever been promoted with from the second tier to the first tier, even though, Jason, what did we get in 81-82? 81-82, we scored 80 points. It was the first okay. season of three points for a win, if I remember correctly. But of course, there were 22 teams in the second division then. Oh. Um, so only 42 games played. But... The good news is for you, John, uh, is that the average worked out. Hang on, let me just do this in my head. 
uh, works out to 87.619 points uh, if we if we actually kept up that average and played 46 games. So the 91-point stat stands. 59 points at home, which is amazing. We had 19 home wins, seven clean sheets at home in a row. Uh, and we only conceded 30 goals all season, which is a division equaling record. I know I was desperate to equal it. <laughs> <laughs> you have been desperate, haven't you, Michael? We got it. Yes, I'm so pleased. But yeah, that ending the season with seven clean sheets in a row is just absolutely incredible. The last visiting player to score at Vicarage Road was Albert Adoma in back in for QPR back in in February just been an extraordinary uh, just listing them off there John it's just achievement after achievement so I think it it really does go to show what a what a stunning achievement and effort it's been from from Watford this season brilliant stuff you know I did a little exercise uh, this week I, I got my excel sheet out mm-hmm. uh, I looked at all the the home and away games and did the aggregate results for the season uh, no one did the double over us. Yeah. That's the first thing. Um, that was well, I did it before the Swansea game. I was like, oh no, God, they're going to do it. They're going to ruin it. <laughs> we actually only lost, on aggregate, to three teams. Bournemouth was 2-1. Brentford, we lost 3-1. And QPR, we lost 3-2. Only three. We drew four, but we won 16. I mean, that's, that promo- that's where you get promoted. So if it was an aggregate division, we would have scored 52 points. Um, I've no idea what everyone else would have got, but I just did the same. <laughs> um, and of course, the, the the score Watford against the rest of the Championship. I got crazy on my Excel sheet. Uh, Sixty three to thirty uh, in terms of our, our goals, uh, and the result would have been against the rest of the division. But today's game, Mike, we saw yeah. a lot of changes. Yeah, we saw certain players come in that put the bejesus up you. Yeah, um, and they would have done definitely two weeks ago. Not necessarily as much today. Navarro, Lazar, really were high on those uh, tension things. I mean, literally, I would have been pulling my hair out at this uh, before the game started if we had to get anything from this game. Um, but it was a really great performance from Watford. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, those were the guys that you'd, you'd, you'd be worried about. No massive surprise. We knew that there was a lot of players out with a, with little niggles or, or injuries. So we knew it was going to be a, a, a pretty vastly changed side. I was really, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with me trying to enjoy it, but I still really wanted that to equal that record. I know we couldn't beat it. I wanted to equal that defensive record because I just think this season has been based on that brilliant, brilliant defence. And I just wanted them to be able to have some little... Just that little achievement. I'm not not that it'll worry them as anywhere near as much as worried me. I'm sure. And I have to be honest with 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 all due respect to the Lazar family and the Navarro family. Uh, when I saw saw those guys at left and right back, I thought, oh gosh. And you look at the Swansea side, and it was you know Ayu was back, thinking they're going to be wanting to play themselves into form. I thought, oh, there's no way we're going to be able to keep a clean sheet, but. Yeah, we did, it, and it was. I think the first half was was more enjoyable than the second, probably in terms of in terms of a spectacle for for Swansea. It's probably something of a of a, a sort of a, a, a glorified training exercise, really, wasn't it? It's about getting um, time into the legs for the players who are going to be playing in the playoffs, getting IU fit, making sure that they stay, kept ticking over without getting injured, without getting suspended. And it was a little bit of a feel of, of that around it. You know, a very celebratory start to proceedings, that incredible display. Again, you know, it was brilliant to see it. I'm not sure how it looked on TV, but it was wonderful to see it. And I, I took some footage and I sent it to, to a couple of people. I said, no, and Arlo again said, 
God, Dad, you're so, so lucky to have been there to see it. And it does, it's just another thing that brings it home, how amazing it would have been to see all that, those explosions and the streamers and everything with supporters in the ground. So it started off with a, with that celebratory feel. And then it, you know, there wasn't a booking. There weren't many fouls. It was, you know, so it definitely had an, an end of season aura about it. But largely speaking, I thought Watford, considering the amount of changes we had and considering that that was Swansea's first team who were trying to play themselves into form ahead of the biggest two matches of their season, I thought Watford did really, really well. And it was a, it was a really good way to, to round off the season. Because I looked at it last week when we played against Brentford, we lost. Mm. But we had those very early substitutions that actually, yeah. hey, that showed me how lucky we were that we were able to play such a strong team for so long that made this season a success. But actually today, even with all the changes, it sort of made me say, wow, almost more onto, uh, onto Cisco because, you know, these players, these many peripheral players, even Craig Cathcart, you know, who's been very peripheral until recently, were able to go in and act as one really simply and really quickly without too much fuss and, and, and not much error, well, no error really at, at all. So that was really warming I think for me for not only this season but for, for next season as well if this if this is what Cisco has already created and he can continue it gives us sort of a, a base level Jason for you you know there's there's a lot of players in that squad who we, you know I'm not we're not gonna do bashing in this podcast but you think you know if, if everything goes well you're not going to be part of Watford next year who, who are the shining lights for you uh, and maybe the ones that you think oh gosh have you done this again a year ago, two years ago, um, it might have been better for you. I'm not sure if anyone stood out. Maybe one name I'm going to mention, and that's Dan Gosling, because I thought he played with the same energy, fight, passion, desire that he has done in recent weeks when he's been involved. We saw him tackling back, doing the defensive duty. There was a, a great tackle on Andre Ayew in the first half, but he was also making those great late runs into the box trying to get on the end of crosses there was just a little bit more energy about him versus perhaps the rest of the team and the rest of the players on the pitch both Swansea and, and Watford and we sort of talked about uh, sort of going back to the points about Swansea having their first team out and playing a strong team I, I do wonder if maybe their players were holding back a little bit one because yeah. they don't want to get injured but also I wonder if tactically they would they were going to let us have the ball a lot more because they've now got two, maybe three big games coming up in the playoffs where they're going to be playing one or two of the other best six sides in the division. And there will be periods of those games where they're not going to have the ball. They're going to be up against it. And are they just doing, in, again, a sort of trade, turning the game into a training session for that just to... To, to, yeah, to get ready for what's coming for them. Mike, what about you? What about any, who else stood out for you? Because I know I might, I might sound crazy here, but I suspect he will go because he only has a short-term contract. Sanchez, yeah. just cool as you like, and yeah. he's that sort of attitude. You know, with all the other midfielders we have with Gosling, with Cleverly, hardworking, Will Hughes, Chalabar being all all you can, you want to be. Just that cool dude at the back at certain points <laughs> of the season that you're going to love. And he just, everything is in his stride. Who else for you? Lazar, go on. You reckon? <laughs> what do you reckon? I reckon Reeves played his last game in a yellow shirt. That's what <laughs> well, I wasn't reckon. that bad, though. 
I, I do think, I, I think Jason's right to point out Dan Gosling. I think he was probably unlucky. He What he's forged out this niche for himself in the last sort of month or so of arriving late in the box, at the edge of the box and, and having chances. And there was a couple of chances he had in the, in the first half that he wasn't able to take. He's forged a bit of a niche in that as well, hasn't he? Not taking the chances that he um, that he arrives on the box for. But um, yeah, full of energy. Sanchez, again, just make the game look easy in the, in the centre there. He sort of uh, turned past his... his his men and on a number of a time just a little drop of the shoulder or just a touch of the ball and and he was away in clear um so yeah he was good and then yeah i mean who else was there really i think foster of course was was back in goal which was was interesting i didn't notice that initially so used to seeing foster on the on, as part of the furniture it didn't really raise an eyebrow on his back in but he had to actually make a couple of pretty smart saves in the in the first half so fair play to him for for coming back in and of course there's no swansea goal on the gopro this week which of course he'll be very uh, <laughs> He'll be very pleased about, and you know, you know, you know. Let's give them their dues. Lazaro and Navarro at left and right back. They didn't really do anything wrong, did they? Swansea, no. as as we've alluded to, they you know playing in a gear which wasn't fifth, I think, th- throughout. Um, and they and they did what they what they were supposed to do. So you've got to give them credit. You know, playing against a a team in the playoffs, and you know, no no marks by any stretch of the imagination. So. You know, everyone did fine. I think I'd be surprised if you if we're going to see Lazar or, or Navarro in a Watford shirt next season. And then I guess we have to look up top, don't we? Um, King Ken on the on the left. Um, he he beat his man a couple of times, which was lovely to see. He just sort of stops the ball and then drops the shoulder and off he goes. You can everyone can see it coming. It was almost like when Igalo did his scoops and chops. Yeah, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. You know what's coming, um, but no one could deal with it. And it seems often to be the case with with Ken when he's got his dander up, and that was good to see. And then it, yeah, kind of accompanying Sanchez and Gosling in in the middle were Zinkenar. It was Zinkenar, and you know it's still interesting to see how he's going to perform in the Premier League. I think the jury is is still out. He's obviously got talent. He's obviously skillful. He can obviously read the game. He can obviously pick a pass. It's going to be fascinating to see how he does in the Premier League. I don't think we learned anything new about him today at all. I don't think we learned anything new about any of them today. It's just not that that, that type of game. I felt like was did better in that position than he did last week. It was interesting. You asked, didn't you, John? You were, you would have, you preferred to see him out on the in a more advanced position on the on the right. Well, that's what we're known. That's what we we've heard is his preferred position. But we also know that he can play across the middle. But but again, last week he didn't really impose himself at all, really, on that game being more central. But he he did seem to be just yeah a bit more thought maybe towards him playing in that position as this week sort of gone on. I thought we had a lot more joy through the middle generally today anyway and again I think part of that is Swansea sitting back and letting us have the ball more but and like you said John the team played very well the the passing was good certainly at the start of the game and part of that what I thought was Gosling and Zinconagel working well together through the middle but then also the way they linked up with the guys playing out wide as well um, and generally yeah through the middle obviously you mentioned Gosling but then you've got to say Zinconagel as well good start play some great stuff through the middle the only thing that perhaps was lacking from those guys was that that final pass the two though who you really feel like it's been a bit too late for your lads to be starting in the Premier League. You might still be around. Um, that's what contracts are, uh, can help some players with. Uh, Andre Gray and Isaac Says scored two goals. Because we won 2-0. You know that. Mike, the Andre Gray goal is the most Andre Gray goal ever. Um, <laughs> because 
We know how bad his first, first touch is, but we know he knows where to be. He knows he's the player who makes the best runs. And he made that run absolutely perfect. And with a little bit of deflection, it just came off his face and went in the goal. And that, that, that end bit doesn't really matter. It just shows that there is still something there. He can still be part of a team. But, you know, for me, it's just like, but he's just still not being played in the way. He's not the, the front man. But you can still see there's something in there. And if we end up having to have him in the squad next year because no one's prepared to take on his contract, then he could play some sort of role. If he's still at the club, he'll have to play some sort of role. And I think you know what you're going to get with, with Andre Gray, which, you, you know, the limit, the limitations are clear for everyone to see. And, and he would be the first to admit that his Watford career hasn't gone as well as he or anyone would have liked. He's a striker and he hasn't scored the amount of goals that a striker would have, would have liked to. Now, that could be down to a number of reasons, formations, how he's being played, how the team plays, etc., etc., etc. His his own behaviour as well, of course, it's been well documented. What you can say in favour of Andre Gray is what you've said, John, that he knows where to be. He makes the runs and he make, does tirelessly make those runs and he's looking to be in the right situation at the right time for exactly today when the ball is fizzed across if you're in the right place it can bounce off any part of you um, and end up in the in the back of the net and that's what good strikers do and I think that was pleasing I was sort of having a wry smile you know the way when strikers celebrate scoring goals like that where it bounces off you and in um, without you knowing too much about it and I thought oh, he's celebrating that when actually of course it's you're in the, you have to be there it's about you making the run and being and timing your run or bending your run to beat the offside trap or or stealing a yard from your from your marker so that you the ball does come to you so that it is an absolute art being a center forward and it's very very difficult and a lot of stars need to align for you to score because it's the you've got 11 other blokes trying to stop you do, to do it uh, so lots of things have to happen at the right time in the right order for, for you to hit the back of the net and the one thing that you're in charge of is like you say John is the runs um, is, is the effort is getting making sure you're in the right spot and and he did that today and I was delighted to see him to score it was it was a poacher's goal a striker's goal um, and like you say yeah a, a very Andre Gray goal he's always industrious he's always hard working I don't think he ever goes missing in games and whilst you know I'd never say he's the world's best number nine uh, we know what we're going to get and and I think there is something to be said for that so I was pleased that he was able to round the campaign off with a with a goal it did make me laugh it did make me laugh because I think sort of two or three seasons ago I spent half the podcast going oh I feel a little bit sorry for him because for exactly <laughs> the did. reasons you were saying Mike really where did. he was getting into the right positions he knew where he needed to be that it's just the 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 act of putting a ball in the back of the net wasn't happening so this mm. goal that he scored today was the sort of goal he needed sort of yeah. mid-season two or three seasons ago <laughs> not in the last game of the season you know he's it's yeah. great for him to be hitting form now just in time for his summer holiday well with his uh yes and congratulations of course he's going course. to be a father as well so uh yeah he's uh i was gonna say he scored twice this week but i think the other one came a bit earlier didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, other... you, no, your biology, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, of course, uh, who scored a goal. Well, what a goal. Unfortunately, Isaac, uh, it, it's too late to be considered for goal of the season. But Jason, he hit that one first touch exactly like we'd wished him to do for such a long, long, long time. But it, is, it just seems too late for, for Isaac. Oh, it's funny, isn't it? We I laugh about the Andre goal. I think I laughed about the Isaac goal as well. Uh, or... I, well, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because, yeah, it was a great goal and, and you love to see it. But equally, there's this um, level of frustration in me as well because 
he's capable of that. We know he's capable capable of that, but have we seen it often enough? No, we haven't. And I think his game was like that as well today. There were there were moments where we saw some touches of quality from him. There was a great crossfield ball in the first half, I think. There was a lovely sort of first time touch around the corner for Navarro to run onto in the second half, and then the goal came fantastic. But there were times in the game where he's trying to beat three men from a, a sort of standing start position. He's never going to do it. The, the defenders robbed him quite easily, just inside our own half as well, not really in any advanced attacking position. And it and and a lot of the game, you almost forgot he was playing. He just didn't seem to be involved enough. And it's just that frustration when you've got a player that is capable of that finish, like like we saw today, and capable of those moments. What is he doing for the rest of the time? It, it's yeah, great, great to see that goal. But oh, Isaac, why can't you do that all the time? But Michael, it, it, in many ways, this was the perfect way to finish off Watford season. Not only because it was a home win, it just sums up a Watford. That, that's the perfect Watford win for what has been the weirdest season, but a successful season in the Championship. We've never known one like it. It's, you know, a full season virtually behind closed doors, um, up and down on the pitch, the tumultuous on on, on occasion off it. Um, and, yeah, they, they've delivered. And, I, I, like I say, it was, it's been built on defence. It's been built on being very, very difficult to, to beat. It's been built on not conceding many goals. And it's been built on us having the little bit of extra quality when we've needed it. And I think those are all the traits of, of promotion-winning sides. It's not, you know, we haven't reinvented the wheel. I haven't stumbled upon some magic formula there. Defend well and take your chances, and you're going to be in with a chance. And and we've done that pretty consistently, even when even when things weren't going great. And you know, the the majority have been. You know, have there been that many memorable matches? I think the season as a piece will be remembered because of promotion because of the background but you know the matches themselves you know a lot of them are already fading from from memory aren't they so yeah I think that the most imp- I was really really pleased that we kept a clean sheet and w- once again it was those those little bits of quality you know Semmer beat his man for the cross Andre Gray getting in the right place Isaac success we know he's got the the quality uh, we just haven't seen it enough and it, 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 he was the difference with that with that goal to put the game to bed so yeah, it kind of was the archetypal 2021 performance. Not minimum of fuss, but a game that was just, we, we did it. We put it to bed and, and we're moving on. And, and that's kind of what the what the season was it, it, overall, wasn't it? So that's not to put it down, not to do a dampener on it. It was incredibly efficient and professional. Um, so yeah, I think it was definitely befitting to keep the clean sheet and another home win just tremendous it's been an absolute fortress cannot wait for it to be a fortress full of fans again from the rookery end a podcast about life following Watford FC before the game Mike caught up with Adam Leventhal the Watford correspondent for The Athletic uh, remember if you uh, want to read some of Adam's writing as well as the, the whole team from the, from the Athletic particularly actually uh, there's an amazing article that went up today from James Horncastle the Italian uh, writer uh, for The Athletic he put a whole point about the, sort of the history uh, of Udinese the many Watford fans uh, will want to consume uh, but I caught up with him to speak about his writing and his, all his articles uh, from this last week <laughs> A busy summer lies in wait for Watford, having secured promotion to the Premier League. It's already been a busy time for you, Adam. You've crafted three wonderful articles this, this week that, we, that we've seen. One of them that really caught my eye, we're here, we're talking before the Swansea game on the last day of the season. 
you spoke to Jack Bonham, didn't you? Just run us through very quickly then, for those who aren't aware, or those who haven't read the article yet, just what did ha- happen to Jack Bonham the last day of that, that fateful last day of the season? Yeah, it was, it was absolutely horrible what happened to him in, in short he'd been told that he'd been able to to leave the club so he'd been out on a on a trial at Brentford pitched up for the game he'd been doing this for I think 12 times before the end of that season he'd been the 19th man um, and he tells you about in the in the piece about the financial incentive that that gave a sort of an 18 19 year old he could earn like three or four times his salary 300 quid He'd be going home with like 1,200 quid if they actually won a game. So, you know, he was thinking, all right, I'm, I'm being released. I'll pitch up at Vicarage Road, sun shining. I'll have a good day and uh, all will be well. Um, all was not well, was it? It could not have been worse. And I described it when I put out the, the piece on Twitter that it's like an anxiety dream. Yeah. You know, you're in front of a, a group of people and you realise that you're naked or you're, all your teeth are falling out. Or Mine is I get called on stage to play with Metallica. And I've forgotten all the words. I do know the words, but I've forgotten them. It's all that sort of stuff. It's exactly that, exactly that. And it really does read like an anxiety dream that he knew that Almunia was sort of injured in the build-up. Then he went off and he thought, okay, hang on a minute, I might actually be called called to, to be on the bench today. He was then named on the bench... He then went to the kit man and said, can I have my studs? Because he'd been warming up in moulded molded boots. Kit man said, no, I haven't got your studs. So he had to borrow Manuel Almunia's boots, which were a size too big. He hadn't packed his new gloves because it was the last game of the season. He didn't want to take the piss with his, um, kit, with his glove supplier. So he ended up play, um, having these old raggedy gloves. and um, Boots that didn't fit, gloves he didn't want to wear, and no sort of psychological build-up or warm-up whatsoever. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah. And then we know that Don Polion um, pushed Ikechianya into Jonathan Bond, who had um, been called into the breach. What was really interesting is that the moment that that happened, it was a tense day anyway, but you could sense the tension on the bench. It was like, come on, then get ready, get ready, get ready. And he's not, he's a very relaxed guy and he's such a nice guy to speak to. Very calm. And he says, look, nowadays I'm very calm. I like to be carefully prepared. And you know, the day before games, I know exactly what's going on and you prepare in a completely different way. But he was sort of thrust into it, warming up on the side of the pitch. Leeds players were in his ear, being Leedsy. <laughs> really, I mean, you just thought, there's a guy lying on the pitch with a facial injury and there's a young kid coming on for his debut and you get some Leeds players in his ear, winding him up and saying, oh, don't mess up. Don't. And you just think, Yes, it's part of the game, but you don't have to be like that. You could just be nice. You don't have to be a twerp. And this is my this is my surprised face when imagining <laughs> Leeds players at that time doing uh, doing that sort of stuff. Well, famously, and it's something that vivid, it's probably one of the things that I vividly remember most about the day. I was in the lower Rouse with my with my mum and a couple of mates. The Leeds fans were singing, "We're only here to spoil your party." We're only here. just constant with like inflatable blow up dolls and all that sort of stuff flying around I just it was just horrible absolutely horrible and then obviously we know within a couple of minutes he'd he'd sort of made a mistake miscommunication with Joel Ekstrand and then in the final minute after all the hoo-ha that had gone on and what was going on with Hull and Cardiff in their game which had an impact on what happened with Watford we were going for the win if we'd won the game we obviously would have been getting automatic promotion but then when Ross McCormack broke away lobbed the ball I'm looking at the goal now yeah. I can see it. it's oh it's horrible you know and he misjudged the flight of the ball it just clipped the top of his fingers and, and went in the back of the net and then from that point on it was like 
he just he just what do you do what do you do you know the, the, the mental turmoil of going through that I mean I'm not going to spoil it I won't, go, I won't go on too much about it but you know he he recovered eventually from that but it certainly left a few scars but what he's now done having gone on from from here to Brentford then had loan spells at Carlisle and Bristol Rovers then moved on to Gillingham he's rebuilt his career by playing consistently to be thrown into that pressure cooker moment with no preparation and have that as your introduction to professional football it's just it is the stuff of nightmares but thankfully as you will find out in the piece he's recovered he's played over 200 games he's a proper keeper now and he's still only young yeah. you know and you mature with age and you get better as a goalkeeper with, with age I should say and um, yeah it's well worth reading because I think a lot of it will be heartwarming to Watford fans to hear how the, the that he's back and he's okay that's basically it absolutely I wholeheartedly agree with that so yeah do check that out obviously on the athletic at the moment Jack Bonham a young player um, speaking of there's been changes in the youth setup at, at Watford and been a change in, in senior staff there and that seems to have been driven by a desire from the club to adjust the pathway or to refine the pathway improve the pathway what do you think has has driven that Adam and, and what, how will that manifest itself what will that mean for, for Watford and the academy let's be brutally honest there's a lot of work to be done to get the pathway that Watford used to have which was very natural when we were a smaller entity and we weren't able to spend as much money on players and we weren't we didn't have the Potso network and things like that that was then and this is now that you know we've been very top down we now need to be nurturing our talent and and building that pathway and the academy isn't up to scratch at the moment there's lots of good people working in there. There's lots of prospects in there. But they need to just make a few tweaks to actually make sure that that pathway is, is improved. And, you know, they've made a couple of changes. For example, the, the academy manager has, has left, Richard Thomas. Um, I understand they're going to try and sort of streamline the whole process. Um, one thing that I think that they need to be doing is, is appointing someone to, to manage their loans specifically development loans is, are vitally important look if, if a player is going to come through you want him coming through to the under 23s you then want to go right is he going is he potentially a first team player yes okay test him out send him into men's football league football you know Tottenham were brilliant at that with all the players that they sent out you remember Harry Kane he was playing in the Leicester game wasn't he I saw I got sent a funny thing by um one of my mates the other day when it was Harry Kane wearing a Norwich shirt and they basically said if he'd stayed at Norwich, he would have won far more trophies over the last couple of years than he would have done at Tottenham. But, you know, you need to send players out, get them experience, but also high quality loans as well. Have that proper pathway. Go, right, you're going to go out for a season, then you're going to be on the fringes. It's all a little bit higgledy-piggledy at the moment, but I think they've acknowledged that, yes, we need to do it properly. And um, hopefully the changes that they're going to make is just going to gradually, incrementally upgrade the offering from the academy and then we can get back to something something similar to what we had before because obviously this club is built on community academy tapping into the local area and fingers crossed they make some changes because it needs to be done i think that's something that as supporters we can very much get on board with as well isn't it because as we go into the premier league and hope to extend our stay stay longer than the five years i think my gut feeling is that we're going to be more reliant on building the right sort of players, getting the right sort of players in, in, maintaining the right atmosphere and the right culture, which is what Cisco has done in the short term, certainly. But to be able to do that, you need to be able to mould your own players, don't you? Get them to understand 
what their responsibilities are and the requirements of being a Watford player. Now, some of the players that we've got that are good, we will want to keep. One of the players, uh, we can see him warming up in front of us, probably digging out his teammates, giving them a little bit of his acerbic banter that he's been uh, renowned for over this, this, uh, this season. But Sir William Hughes, what a player. The Championship's player of the season, undisputable. Oil that keeps Watford going, the most vital cog in the whole machine. Contract talks underway. He's said to the Athletic that he wants to stay. He's happy. How important is that in those negotiations? And and what, how do you think the sort of the Will Hughes situation playing out? How do you see that hap- what playing out? With Will Hughes, you, you look at him and you go legend, uh, legend, great hair, yeah, but integrity. So if he's come out and you know I directly asked him a couple of questions about you know I said. Uh, it was a bit more of a wishy-washy first question about, you know, normally when you've got a year to go in your contract, blah, 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 blah. People start talking about your future. What is the plan? He basically said, like, I'm settled. I want to stay. Very direct, very sort of pointed in what he was saying. He did also acknowledge the fact that, yes, this needs to be done, sorted out between the, the, his, his agents and, and the club. And it will come down to a financial, you know, agreement and all that sort of stuff. But he's not the sort of bloke to say something if he doesn't mean it. Yeah. Something might happen whereby a club comes in and goes, oh, look, he's only got one year left on his contract. We'll give you four million, five million or whatever, whatever that is worth or even less because it's only a year, you know. Um, And, you know, that might change. The dynamic might change. They might have a player that they really like from France that they want to bring in or Spain or whatever. And they've got a different option. So they might actually go, "Okay, well, we, we need to evolve. But look, he is such a great player. He's dialed into the to the club. He's settled. Everyone looks to him as a, as a solid presence on the field. He, tick, he makes things tick. You, don't lose Will Hughes. You know, you might want to bring other players around him. Hashtag don't lose Hughes. Don't lose Hughes. That's it. That's all I can say. But the signs are good. The signs are good. And I think that that will give a lot of um, positivity to the rest of the group. If you're keeping hold of someone like that, um, you know, you then, the fans are thinking, yeah, great, that's, that's another sort of important cog in it. And it's often not the players that you sign, it's the players you keep. And, and Will Hughes is one of those that I just think it would be really, really disappointing if, if he were to, to go elsewhere. But as he said this week, the signs are good. And also another, another little thing, and it's interesting, you know, we're standing over the little rondo that they're doing, the, the players. Um, you know, Will Hughes is in there. Troy Deeney, it's good to see him sort of maybe have a few minutes later on um, but what we, well, Hughes was saying is that one of the subplots to the season is that other leaders have been able to emerge on the pitch everyone sort of just stood up a little bit taking a bit more responsibility you're not reliant on one man and that's great that's great for the evolution it doesn't mean oh yeah great we're moving in and Troy's moving out it's like no you've got to evolve haven't you talking about the academy earlier you've got to evolve and he's evolved other players have evolved they've sort of come out of their shell and been able to have an opportunity to stand on their own two feet and I think you know he is one that has really really moved on this season so don't lose Hughes don't lose Hughes so Will Hughes Jack Bonham loads of stuff about the academy it's all on the athletic thanks to thanks to Adam make sure you get there athletic.com forward slash rookery end to sign up for a decent discount it's all there what are you waiting for get on the athletic looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Hi there, pop pickers. Welcome to the Watford FC top. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to do that. Um, welcome to the Watford top ten of the season. My name is John, uh, and uh, Mike is with me. Uh, hello, Smashy. <laughs> Thanks, Nicey. Uh, and DLT, or as we like to call him, Colin is also with us. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> Basically, this is our top ten. We do we do it every season, apart from last year, because it was quite hard to find a top ten in a relegation season. And and it, this isn't serious. This isn't the best moments. We did that. is isn't the best games. We did that in the the game after we got promotion. We went through the season and the record and everything with it. It's not the best player. We did that last week. We talked about the player of the season. This is about just the, the little things that make a great Watford season and what have made this very strange season great. So let's start off at... Ten... It's the club's continued support of Watford General Hospital and having a close relationship. It was a big thing during the lockdown and last year, but it, it's the fact this thing has continued. Mike, we, this is one of those things that happened this year that just make you proud to be a Watford fan. Yeah, and it's sort of as we approach the end of the season and we hopefully sort of phase out of, of this stage of lockdown... Luckily, the sort of those those dark days seem like a bit of a distant memory, don't they? But I was thinking about it the other day, just how extraordinarily impactful this last sort of year, 18 months has been, you know, to varying degrees uh, on, on all of us. It has been a, a quite extraordinary period of time. We've lived through and continue to live through through history. And of course, I think at this stage, again, our condolences to anyone who has uh, lost anyone or, or gone through a dark time. But because of it, we mustn't forget that they are people, not just numbers. It was just an incredibly difficult time. And to see the club that we support and the club that we love basically pitching in, rolling their sleeves up and helping the hospital next door, the West Hertfordshire NHS Trust, um, in a, supporting them in a number of different ways and continuing to do so through the through the pandemic, through the various lockdowns, and now is great, quite frankly. I don't want to underestimate it by just, you know, words can't really do it justice. We talk a lot about how, how a club is at the heart of the community and how it's a family club and that sort of stuff. Well, the only real way of actually being a club like that is is, is to do something, is to take action. And throughout the course of, uh, of this incredibly difficult period, Watford have done exactly that. They've done us proud at, at, at every single term. And again, it's down to the hard work and vision and drive of people at the club who've decided they wanted to make something happen. And they did it through hard work, determination and wanting to do it in the first place. So, yeah, the, the support that, that the club gave to the NHS and the, and the local community during this period is so so important to me you know when at a time when what happens on the pitch is is pretty low down the pecking order really in in terms of life's what's important in life to see that you know to be for your club to play an important role in, in people's lives is 
is incredibly rewarding incredibly sort of affirming and yeah it just it's just made me incredibly proud you know we know about lots of things they did in the first lockdown particularly with provision of meals and an and area where where staff could get respite yeah um, but since then it, it's been a place for a vaccination center for a hub for that space for newborn baby visits um so you know because people the, the midwives can't go out just everything on every level it has been fantastic uh, and as well the the we campaign that the club run uh, and that particularly where the the ex-players and some of the current players phoning people who just needed that little bit of a pickup it just really sums up for me it's it's another you know it is what gt started and it and it is just another level of of taking it further um in this modern world and particularly at this ridiculous ridiculous time that we've we've had to live through my father passed away in that hospital so i've always felt a very close association with that building and he had a stroke and was in hospital for about six weeks and i went to visit him most days and it was about this time of year actually because the snooker was on i remember really clearly you know, and I sat in with him and I looked out the window and could see the ground. And there's, there is that real association, I think, between, for many people in Watford, those two buildings are, you know, the stadium and the hospital are very important buildings for people who live in that town or in that area. They recognised that they, as a community-based club, they recognised that they could help and they did help. And they, they put their words and thoughts and feelings into action and they made a difference, a positive difference to a lot of people's lives what more can you ask from your your club than that absolutely brilliant and and long may it continue nine run here from kirby has been picked out oh lovely pass to ryan that's glorious what a ball that was from frank kirby wonderful vision and guru Wrighton was there to finish it off for chelsea and this is well, an absolute rout now, 6-0. Watford hosted a cup final this year. Um, the fantastic facilities that we've seen grow over the last five, six years. It really sort of came together with the fact that the FA chose to hold the Women's Continental Cup, which is their version of the League Cup, at Vicarage Road. A uh, big part of that, one of our great mates, Kieran Tavum. He was part of the team because he works at the FA on women's football, got the game at Vicarage Road. It was just unfortunate we couldn't be there. I do remember in the days leading up to the game, the Chelsea, big Chelsea banner draped over, I think it was the Vicarage Road. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, that, that feels weird. But also it's quite a... Quite a proud moment, I th- I felt the fact that you know the reasons you've mentioned there, John, the the amazing pitch and the the vastly improved facilities, and I think that's something that that is worth just mentioning very briefly. Kieran, um, I'm sure won't mind us sharing that that he went on a number of visits to the to the club in the build up to the to the final in his role at the at the FA, and you know he went into a, a lots of areas of the stadium that that I haven't been to, you guys won't have been to, and lots of people won't have been to, and. Like I say, I'm sure Kieran won't mind us, us repeating how impressed he was with just how, how much things have come on at Vicarage Road, um, you know, behind the scenes in certain areas that, that we don't get to see on a, on a daily basis, even when the, when the ground is open. So I think for if you think back a couple of years when it's three, three sides, the East Stand was over there, um, the pitch wasn't great. To think now that we're hosting a, a, a cup final and impressing FA delegates and uh, delegations and organizing committees with with the with the facilities it's you know it's it's just another nod and another thing that we ought to be proud of and and again i hate to say it again but it, these things don't just happen they happen with energy investment 
effort and hard work and we find ourselves uh, with a club that is fully functioning in the community making a difference to people's lives then in terms of the actual facilities we've got facilities that are being chosen for for, for cup finals that happens because people put the effort in they people put the money in they work and they make dreams become reality eight is an email from scott duxbury the chief executive and chairman and owner Gino Pozzo. This arrived in our inboxes uh, the day after relegation. Um, on it was a positive outlook on Watford's future, um, that they were you know, at the heart of the club, they weren't going anywhere, and they wanted to get Watford back up. But it wasn't particularly the fact that they sent that email that made it into this season's top ten. It was, in fact, just the fact that the last paragraph was misused. And I hope many Watford fans are sending sorry tweets to the Watford account for having bombarded them with the snippet that said, rest assured, we will do everything in our power to take Watford Football Club back to the Premier League, something we all believe we can achieve. They went a bit too far, Michael, didn't they? With just, just like using that as a, a, a bait for to 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 get a, a rise a stick yeah yeah, a stick to, to hit to, the club. yeah and it was it was ridiculous on so many levels because however bad things get that isn't the, the bit they did we will do everything in our power in our power yeah not everything we want to do and it actually angered me quite a lot this year where they just didn't understand how these people are working because they're human beings at a day job yeah, I think there's two things to to say right at the start, and that is one. I think most people have been quite contrite. There has been contrition shown, and that people have said, you know, Watford. I wondered whether they'd do it when we got promoted, whether they'd post that screen grab of that that bit of their email, and they did. And as you'd hope, there was some humble pie underneath there. People saying, "Fair play, you did what you said you'd do." So we we sort of apologise, and I think. Largely speaking, anyone who did quote it back has has doffed their cap and sort of taken their medicine. So I think credit to everyone um, for that. I also kind of understand where it is coming from. It was born out of frustration that, that you know you, you will have heard me on the podcast. You will have read me in our WhatsApp groups throughout the season, getting frustrated at performances, confused, disappointed, worried about the direction which we were going with. You know, I say it again in the Coventry game. I said, you know, I quoted Don Goodman. It is an impossibility that this Watford side will get promoted playing like this. And I and I meant it. You know, they were they were not they were not in a good place. So as a supporter base unable to get into grounds, unable to vent their frustration, unable to to do the thing that we love most about football, which is actually go to games uh, and being forced to watch sort of slightly anemic, disappointing, rubbish football, if you'll excuse me being so articulate. So I kind of understand the, 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 the broiling frustrations. But I was like you, John, I was quite angry with that, with the use of, of that quote. I thought it was completely inappropriate. I thought it was accusatory. Um, some of the language surrounding uh, the posting of the of the quote was ludicrous, quite frankly, accusing um, people of lying, accusing the club of, of not doing what they said they'd do. Um, and effectively, what they were doing, whether they realised it or not, was by constantly posting that, was accusing people of not trying their hardest of not of not doing the jobs to the to the full, fullest of their ability and that that as we've discussed already is well I'm going to call it out for what it is it's patent nonsense the people in charge at Watford have a 
track record of proving how much they care about the club, of proving what they want for the club, and more often than not, delivering it for the club. So at the first sight of things not going our way, and I, you know, I'll be the first to admit I got a little bit salty and a little bit sort of like, oh, crikey, this isn't going as we planned. But come on, you, there does have to be a, a level of understanding that football isn't an exact science. You know, PSG have been knocked out of the Champions League. You know, one of the richest clubs in the world haven't made it to the Champions League final. It's, there, isn't a, there isn't a set of ingredients that you just buy or get or put together and football works. It doesn't work like that. I still feel strongly now, but what I do hope is that, as I said at the top, people recognised, I think, that they, they made a mistake because pretty obviously they made a mistake. We got promoted. Um, but I think I'd like to think that people would take a step back and think, right, let's just actually look at the wider picture here. Let's let's think about what my actions actually mean here. What's the, you know, down to a real basic level, who is going to be reading these tweets? Who's going to be seeing those tweets? Who's going to be dealing with them? They're people. The mistakes were definitely made. I make mistakes all the time in, in, in the way I talk and what I say. Sometimes I should I should just be quiet. Mistakes were made with the using of that quote. I think people will have learned a lesson and will look at the, the bigger picture, which is people are genuinely usually trying their best. At Watford, you can be virtually guaranteed that anyone that wears that Watford tie or is representing Watford doing anything to do with the club, they are trying their best. And I think... Everyone now understands that, and I think we are in a much, much better place for it. Seven! Beating Luton in our first game in ages. What made this game brilliant was, number one, it was the first goal for the lovely Jao Pedro, and it was on his 19th birthday. And the other good thing was how Troy Deeney just ran the back of a Luton player uh, with about two minutes to go. And we, we won the game. It wasn't the, the greatest game that's ever happened. We, we did talk about that one in a, in a previous podcast a few weeks ago, the, the 1997 uh, drubbing of them uh, at Kenilworth Road. Again, I'm still not going to say this rivalry is back. It's not going to happen next year. But it, it, it's sort of having that sort of you know, link back to what, what was, I think, really, I loved it, Colin. It was great to have it back. It was just annoying we didn't get to see it. There was something, I don't know quite what the right word is, something sort of vaguely nostalgic about watching yeah, Luton yeah, that's it. play football on the pitch at Vicarage Road. Not, not a nostalgia that made me smile, not a nostalgia that I felt happy about because I was desperate that we would beat them in our first game after 14 years of not playing them. And it is slightly tempered, I suppose, by the fact that, as you pointed out, we won't be playing them again next season unless we draw them in one of the two domestic cup competition so it's not like we've beaten them then they beat us and now we're looking forward to seeing if we're going to play them in August or September and you know whether you can get time to go and see that game whatever we we don't have that opportunity so we've just got these two games which we weren't able to go to um, in a kind of weird bubble uh, where we're just going to play them twice and hopefully we might not play them again for another 25 years because <laughs> they'll drop down the divisions. <laughs> Sorry to be mean. But um, it was it was quite an occasion and I, I think I pr- approached watching that game uh, almost as a kind of, with a, with a curiosity about how I was going to feel and how I was going to respond if we lost. As it turned out, we won. The key moment in it really was, was Deeney's 
so he came on uh, as a substitute and uh, he, he ran into a player because he'd thrown the ball at Ngakia, I think it was. He picked the ball up and he chucked it at Ngakia. He was waiting to take a throw in and Dini came in behind him. And, and the guy looked, he looked round and saw who it was. and He sort of sheepishly walked away. He certainly didn't front up to Troy. So that was a kind of moment. And, and But sadly, of course, the, the opposing manager said he didn't think it felt, felt very much like a derby. And, and in a way it didn't because we were all sitting at home watching on our laptops, except Mike, obviously. And so it was, it was a weird one but it was very very good that we beat them because we were at that point struggling uh, to to pick up if I remember rightly we were sort of uh, it was in that period where we weren't looking great and we weren't playing great football we managed to get over the line in that game but we lost the next game I believe so it, it was at a funny time in the in the season so it was very good for us to get to get that win to have the bragging rights but of course it was tempered by the fact that we weren't there and it's been increasingly tempered by the fact that we won't be playing them again next season. Blowing marvellous to beat them. Get in there. <laughs> it, that might have been a little bit higher, maybe if we'd got the double over them. Uh, but, you know, forget about that. Six. It's the stylish kit. You, you may disagree with me, but unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, whatever you think of the kit, it is now a classic. There's no get away from it, Mike. It, it's going to be in our history forever now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, was, it was quite divisive, wasn't it, at the start? It probably remains quite divisive. But what I've loved about it is, like you say, it will, it will forever be associated with all those celebrations on the pitch. It will be iconic. I've loved, If you're on social media, there's lots of sort of almost kit commentators or, you know, people who comment on the style of kits and all and how they're put together and the, and the design of them. And quite a few people, quite a few accounts and quite a few um, uh, sort of blogs and websites have picked up on the on the home kit and, and the style of that and the way the sort of uh, the rays radiate from the badge and all sorts of that, all that sort of stuff. So I think as the season's gone on, it's caught quite a lot of attention and uh, I'm still quite into that like when I always used to think when growing up watching Watford oh, why don't people talk about Watford enough they should talk about Watford they're doing better than that or they scored a better goal than that or we're better at that and uh, it always sort of rankled with me that Watford didn't get enough attention so now whatever it is even if it's one bloke in his laptop talking about how much he likes the kit I'm there for it <laughs> so the, the fact that people have sat up and taken notice about uh, certainly the home kit has uh, I I like it I love it and uh, and of yeah there's been the the there's very very stylish black and uh, white away kits haven't there as well so a, a lovely trio of uh, triumphant kits yeah I think it's quite brave of Kelme to come in and and make such a unique kit we've never had a kit like that before no. I don't think I've ever seen a kit like it as you say with these kind of sunburst coming out of the out of the badge so for Kelme to take on the contract and produce such a unique and notable home kit in their first year I think you know hats off to them frankly I mean the black kit does does do something to a team it makes them look dangerous it makes them look tough you know mean double R yeah so it has a double R exactly Um, but that home kit I think as you say will become iconic for the football club not just because it led to a, a return to the Premier League straight away we didn't do it in 87 we didn't do it in 2007 we didn't do it in 2001 we weren't able to bounce back on those three occasions but this we didn't time, have Kelme we didn't have Kelme we didn't have such a beautiful kit Colin you say though they were brave in their first kit for Watford in their first season Let's see how brave they are when it comes to their first season in the Premier League. Let's be style icons in the biggest league in the world. That's what I say. Five fans getting to see one game at Vicarage Road this season. I was lucky, lucky 
to go to the Cardiff uh, home game. Uh, we'll be lost. Um, <laughs> Colin, you got to go to a game. Mike, you've seen every game. But Colin, what was it like? That one game you got to go to see uh, home to Brentford. Um, what was that like just being back in the Vic in a strange way? It was just fantastic. I, I mean, I can't find a, you know, a better word for it, really. The, the journey to the ground, which I hadn't done for ages, obviously, since the, you know, the end of the previous season, which the last home game, obviously, was the 3-0 win against Liverpool that, um, that I witnessed. And so that was a high point. The last game I'd witnessed was away at Palace, which was obviously not a high point. And then not going to the ground for however many months it was and getting an opportunity to go back. And I know a lot of people felt, oh, there's only going to be 2,000 and what's that? It doesn't really mean anything. There won't be much of an atmosphere. What's the point? I didn't feel like that at all. And nor did my daughters. And the three of us went. It was a night game under the lights at the Vic, a classic against a promotion rival uh, with a star striker. And uh, my only mistake was I didn't wear enough clothing because I was absolutely freezing. But we well, um, didn't have that. I, in, in, that thing. We, I, I think I didn't take enough layers either because normally you're used to having a lot more people around you, and of course there's lots of heat that sort of stays yes. stays within you. And there was no one near me at all, and I was all there on my own, getting colder and colder. <laughs> and colder. Oh, you're getting old, you boys. Oh, it was a bit, I did enjoy it, but it was a bit chilly. It was freezing. It was chilly. Like, I needed there, a I mean, blanket. <laughs> The 2,000 people made a difference. 2,000 yeah. people made an atmosphere. There was no question about it. I know it's a big, it's, it's 10% of the ground. And I know if you'd gone, maybe I've not been to Cheshire United, but if you get 2,000 people at Cheshire United, you get a proper atmosphere there, Ooh. I'm sure. And, and, but you st- still were able to, to feel part of something. And because it was special and because it was rare and because we'd entered a ballot and got chosen, it was just, um, it was just, it was great. And, and I was sitting in a part of the ground that I haven't sat in, of, since we were in League One or whatever it was called then, uh, I was in about the fourth row back in what is now the away section at the Vicarage Road end. So mm. I got a completely different view of the ground. It was very close to the action, and you know you could you could hear the obviously you can hear the players shouting at each other. You can hear them pointing. You can hear them you know digging each other out or praising each other. You can see the the little bits of needle between Ivan Tony and Cabaselli. You know you could you, you were really felt maybe because I was closer or maybe because there wasn't so many people there. It felt like you were really at you know at one of those games like going to a, a, a non-league game where you're standing um, by a white you know, like a white railing and, and the bloke walking past you and the linesman's going back and forth and you can see, you know. So it was a really brilliant, uh, it was a really brilliant experience. It was sad that obviously more people didn't get a chance mm. to have that experience. But um, yeah, it was a definitely, it was a football experience, definitely. Mike, you've seen every home game this season. How different were those games to the normal, what has been normal, empty stadium? Yeah, I mean, it, this has become a bit of a, a bit of a, catchphrase and it gets thrown around too often but what what I've learned with going to the all the games since lockdown started so including the the Premier League games is you know I cannot overstate this enough that football without fans is it's not just nothing it's it's pointless it is soul destroying as a as an experience and I must say that with I'm so so grateful and obviously so lucky to have been been at the games and I appreciate every single minute that I get to spend inside Vicarage Road watching watching Watford now I'm obviously there to to work usually when the ground is full you know 20,000 people it's an incredible atmosphere to to be working in it's it, it doesn't feel like work it really feels like a it is a privileged job but it doesn't feel like um, hard work. It doesn't feel like oh, I've got to go to to the office. 
Whereas really with no fans there, it, it feels like work. It feels like you're going into an office uh, with a toilet and a photocopier and a water cooler and a job of work to do. That's what it feels like without the fans there because you don't get any of the excitement. You don't get any of the atmosphere. You don't get any of the camaraderie. You don't get what we love about football. You don't get to jump on the guy in front of you. You don't get to trip over 16 flights of stairs celebrating the goal away from home. You don't get to... You know, you get the picture. We've all been to football matches. It's very, very hard to describe what watching football like with no supporters is. And I felt it very keenly in the Millwall game because you have all the... It's, it's quite similar to all the Luton game, actually. So Luton and Millwall, you, 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 they're ones that you wake up and you think, massive game, big game today. The WhatsApp chat is buzzing from seven o'clock. You know, Twitter and social media is absolutely ablaze from, from as soon as people are waking up. And then, you, you know, the, the, the music in the stadium is loud. You've got all the techno cat and all the familiar songs, Z cars. And then that all stops and it's 11 blokes kicking a ball around. And it just feels that you can hear the, you literally hear laces connecting with the ball. And it is a very alien, difficult to sort of appreciate and enjoy situation. So, and what I noticed when the fans came back and what caught me by surprise and actually got me quite choked up was the peripheral noise the sort of incidental noise so the sort of when a tackle went in or the the cheer when a corner gets won because there when you watch the games there you think oh i wish we could just hear the the cheer when they come out and the cheer for a goal that's what you yearn for when you're there watching the game with no supporters but actually it's all the other the, the, the supporters provide this sort of 360 soundtrack to virtually everything that happens, whether it's a bad refereeing decision, whether it's man on, whether it's handball, a crunching tackle, um, someone sort of slicing it off into, you know, miscuing and you get the way there is a noise for everything. And all of those noises have been missing. And I, I cannot begin to articulate what a different experience it is watching it and so just to have 2000 fans back colin's absolutely right the noise that 2000 fans make compared to to none is is monumental and it was it was quite emotional having the the 2000 supporters back um and the thought of having a full ground the hairs on the back of my neck are, are standing up now just thinking about it the roar when they come out when when zed cars kicks in for that first time is going to be sensational it will almost make it all worthwhile i think for the experience of that first home game in front of a in front of a full house it cannot come soon enough fingers crossed it happens and of course the next time watford be playing at home we'll be in the premier league William Trusty Kong saturday phone saturday night phone calls that were not to an 0800 number. No. <laughs> Colin, he made some very important phone calls. This is what we believe, and this is the legend that will be told forevermore. It might not be 100% true, but this is the legend that William Trusty Kong made the phone calls that got the season back on track. And an absolute hero. Um, interestingly, when we, um, when we sp- spoke about uh, him earlier in the season, I think I had him down for the most likely to become the next MP. Yes, the Watford yeah, area, yeah, yeah. and I think that he proved that he proved it, John, by his actions as he drove away from the Coventry game, presumably driving himself back to his house. And he said, interestingly, that the the squad was feeling very there was a they were dispirited, and there was there was an they started to have a bit of a niggle at each other. Oh, you didn't get back. Why didn't you track back there? You left me exposed. This happened. That happened. whatever the, whatever football professional footballers say to each other in those situations, probably a lot ruder than that, but. 
He said there was an atmosphere starting to build of, of dissatisfaction with themselves, with each other. And he pulled his car over on, into a lay-by and he picked up the, his mobile phone. And remember, of course, that, and I know we've spoken about this in a, in a previous, in a recently, uh, in a recent podcast. He's only new at the club. And yes, he's, he's, you know, he's of an age and he's experienced, he's been around a bit, but he just sat in his car. And I've got a very clear image of him sitting in his car thinking, this isn't good enough. You know, we've got one of the best, most talented squads in the division. We're all criticising each other. We're not playing very well. We're playing as if we're the underdog. We shouldn't be doing that. We need to do something. And he picked up his phone and he, and he phoned some of the senior players. Let's talk it out. Let's create a more positive atmosphere amongst this group. We know how good we are. We know that we're better in terms of footballing quality than most of the teams we're playing. And yet we're often on the back foot. We're defending the 18-yard line. We're not dominating possession. We're not dominating play. We're not creating enough chances. All the things that we were complaining about at that time, I'm sure, were mentioned in that meeting. And brilliantly, of course, the coach, this brand new coach, who we've only had you know, for a few games, who's only ever been a coach for a few games, I think it was nine games at, at Tbilisi, he was on board. He didn't see it as a threat to him. He didn't see it as something that he should be defensive about. If his players are talking about being more positive, about getting together to have a conversation in which they reset the button, he clearly seemed to be all for it. And not only that, he was listening, changed the system, and we went into a much more positive uh, phase of the season. A, a phase which, in the end, ended up with an enormous number of wins. And people say, "Oh, the championship—you can't win that many games. You don't—you don't get on a roll. Everyone can beat everyone. You know all that stuff." But we—I don't know how many it was. I think we won 16 out of 20 or something. You know, it's—it's it's a crazy stat. And all these things really need a spark for something like that to be turned around to get that kind of 180 degree u-turn in a season you need someone to strike a match and to get that spark and to get everyone back on message in this instance it was william truster kong and he took responsibility he showed true leadership and that is something that is rare i think it's easy to hide it's easy to complain it's easy to just go along with the flow but he didn't do that he stood up he said no and they followed him, and the result is we're in the Premier League. Three. Hive live, watching every game this season from our homes, sometimes on the television, sometimes on the phone, sometimes on the computer, but with Emma Saunders and all the former players and all the team that go into it. Mike, we got some, we basically got an hour of un. Of, of pure Watford bias um, <laughs> yeah. for, before every game. And it was, it was a wonderful thing to watch. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about feeling, oh, we don't get, and there's not enough about Watford. There isn't enough about Watford. There's not, not enough to consume about Watford. And all of a sudden, here we are. We've got, you know, a programme leading up to, to, to kick-off devoted entirely to the thing that we love the most, Watford Football Club. You know, Emma hosting it, Tim filling in from time to time as well, two people who know the club inside out. As you mentioned, John, ex-players, brilliant guests coming on. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, it's important to say that the club didn't have to do this. You know, most other clubs, you turn on your iFollow or, or whatever it is at five to three or five before the kickoff time, and there's a holding screen, and then the game kicks off and away you go. Watford decided, they recognised that they wanted to make match day an experience. We've, we've talked about everything we've missed out on, so I think they decided they wanted to give Watford fans something to hang on to. They wanted to make it an, an event, 
and, and they, they committed to creating this wraparound uh, show before and afterwards. They get the, the players after the game as well. Let's let's not forget they got the interviews before. And then within minutes of the final whistle, win, lose or draw. Obviously, some looking happier than, than others, depending on how the game had gone. Pitch side from wherever they were talking to, to us as Watford supporters. It was an absolutely terrific initiative and it just helped with the whole process of this bizarre season where, yes, I've been lucky enough to be at the home games, but obviously I can't get to away games. And just to know that I had that experience just made me feel sort of a bit more part of it and it and it built up to the game. And I thought it was, not only was it a, a brilliant idea and, and, and a thoughtful idea for us as supporters, but tremendously well executed and another thing that we can we can be proud of. I think it's been absolutely, absolutely superb. Two is some grass, but not any grass. It is the incredible... Steve, Steve Palmer. <laughs> That's high quality grass. Um, the, the, it is the incredibly high standard of grass that we have at Vicarage Road uh, from the grounds team. Led by Scott Tingley, I think, Mike. This, this, in fact, this this award sort of goes back in many ways uh, to the fact that they took the decision in lockdown one to relay the pitch then, and not in the not you know, and, and not try and leave it and see if it survived the end of that season and the rest of the season because there wouldn't have been time in between the end of one and the beginning of the other to to relay the pitch. That's that's the, the genius thing that they did. Uh, and that the the club decided to spend that yeah. money on it, but it, its contribution to this season is is amazing because we've got fifty nine points at home, which is an extraordinary record uh, in any division in the world, but particularly in this championship. The, the joke is, it, it looks like carpet, but it really is amazing when you see it. I've talked about when I when I walk into Vicarage Road, I sort of take a minute to to soak up the just the sight that is is in front of you. When you remember going as a kid, the first thing you remember is the greenness of the pitch, isn't it? Especially on a night under lights, <laughs> the sort of the light bouncing off that yeah. extraordinary piece of turf that the likes of which you never see anywhere else apart from on a on a sporting arena. And not when I was w- a kid. Well, yeah, it wasn't always like that. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah, those end of um, season games when I was a junior Hornet, we were running on mud. Yeah, yeah, and and worse uh, before, before that. But yeah, it's 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 absolutely it's it is. You used the word extraordinary. It is extraordinary. I think you're right, John, to 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 remind us about that the decision to relay it when they had the opportunity. You know, it's another bold um, decision, more investment, and more hard work. And by crikey, have we or has the team not not reaped the the rewards of that you know did, you know I've loved the stuff that that Scott Tingley's put on his on his social media he's given us a real insight into just the array of um requirements that are needed you know the care and attention and the long hours and the equipment and the uh, the products and the the techniques that are required to to keep a, a, a piece of grass looking like that a piece of grass that's that's the technical term um so that's been a real i've really enjoyed that as well but the most important thing is of course what it's allowed this brilliant brilliant football team to be and that is a brilliant brilliant football team we've seen the the difference and the difficulties they've had when they've they've traveled away to you know luton is, the, is probably the perfect example we're not we you know the pitch was very bobbly and hard and bouncy and it's difficult to get under control and you compare that with with the vicarage road turf where you know exactly where the ball is going to end up you know it's going to roll through you know you can get a perfect connection on it you know you can get a perfect trap when it when it comes to you it has played a huge part 
in this Premier League football team, which is what they are now, being able to play at the standard they want to to play at. People like Ismail Assar, uh, in particular, I think Ken Semmer, uh, Jao Pedro, those you know those quick, skillful guys. On a surface like that, it just allows them to to play their game, um, and you know it just it, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of investment, and a, and recognition that that every element of the club needs to be right. Every element of the club needs the appropriate focus and resource, and they've had it, they've delivered, and oh god, it just it just looks absolutely absolutely amazing, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Some people might call Scott a genius when it comes to grass, but we'll test his genius if he comes around my house and figures out how to make that grass. <laughs> also, the thing about the grass, and what's weird, and it's one of those anomalies in football, isn't it? Everyone has said since there's been no fans, it's wiped out home advantage. And in many cases, that is true. If you look at the records, even someone like Man United have been better away from home than they've been at home. And yet, we've, we've sort of been the exception that has proved the rule. I, don't, I never really understood that expression. We've been the exception and because we have, we have been so dominant at home that we've, we've created a, a situation where we've gained so many points. And obviously, that's the backbone for any promotion push. And I think a lot of the credit does go down to the the groundsman and the pitch that they have created for the home team because if you're Cisco Munoz and you come in and you want to change the system to a 4-3-3 which is a far more attacking system it means your fullbacks have to get involved and explained it a million times but in order for that to work you've got to have the surface whereby you can do that you can't have a surface working against you you've got to have the surface that works for you and if possible works against the opposition who may want to play a more aerial game or be more physical or whatever they don't have a chance because the ball the, the surface is perfect it's been well watered the ball zips across that surface when you pass it you know even someone like Messina knocking a ball from one side of the ground to the other side of the ground to Ismail Assar it bounces true he can he can collect the ball he knows he's going to be able to do that he can push it past the fullback and go because there's enough water on the pitch to aid you know with that little bit of extra zip they know what studs they need to use everything is set up for Watford to play the sort of football that Munoz is training them uh, to play every single day in training and then they, they can repeat that on a Saturday and I think I think the pitch itself has really contributed to that. Okay, and you go on about how great it is, lads. But again, if you can sort my back guard now, I'll, I'll, I'll put him <laughs> on a statue. And... One! It was the moment when Dan Gosling dragged Jefferson Lerma off the ground as if he was a child in the middle of a tantrum acting like a child. Well, we can discuss this, but really we need to speak to one person and one person only about... Bournemouth and that moment and that game at the Vitality. So instead of Michael Parkin's son, it's Michael Parkin's mum. Mum, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Pleased that we made it up? Oh, delighted. Absolutely delighted. It means that I can come off my beta blockers for my high, for my high blood pressure. Good. So health benefit, if nothing else. You weren't happy, of course, when... Watford lost to our old friends. Can you just tell me why you don't like Bournemouth? Just can you sum it up? Well, first of all, I don't like the taste of cherries. (laughs) But they are such awful cheats. They, They practice falling down at the drop of a hat. They practice falling down at any little nick or a little touch... They're down on the ground and it's very, very annoying. How do, how, how do they make you feel? Very frustrated because if they beat us, that is really annoying. It is. 
So how did it feel then when we'd lost, of course, we lost down there at the Vitality and we had our own Bournemouth player by that stage playing for us, didn't we, in Dan Gosling, Super Dan Gosling. And he was in there and he was kind of dragging the Bournemouth players up. He was telling them, you you can't do this. How did you feel when you saw him sort of telling them what for? Did that sort of... Uh, vindicate your feelings yes, about it. Yes, it was very rewarding. Very rewarding indeed, especially when he scored that stonking goal. Against Norwich? Yes. But in that, So that Bournemouth game, so he, Dan Gosling, what was he doing? How, how was the best way to describe it? He was, he was almost poking one in the eye of Bournemouth, wasn't yes. he? He was saying, leave it out, lads. I know what you're doing. Yes. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to my yeah. team now. Yeah, sitting on the other side of the fence and poking his nose over the fence and going, da, 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 da. <laughs> Good stuff. Come on then, Dad. Everyone's heard my tales of what Mum's like with Bournemouth. Is it really that bad? Am I exaggerating? Uh, no, you can't possibly exaggerate it. Nobody could understand what it's like sitting next to that woman who is a screaming banshee on the sofa. Um, she she changes from being a relatively rational person into a into a nutcase. I'm here for that. Absolutely love it. And did she actually throw the cherries in the bin? <laughs> she certainly did. She threw the cherries in the bin. The mother parking seal of approval for Dan Gosling. The same does not go for AFC Bournemouth. Long may they remain in the championship, or preferably lower. Who do you want? Who do you want to win in the playoffs, Mum? Barnsley, a good northern team. Come on, come on, you tykes. In theory, this this shouldn't be the number one. It is a bit of fun. It is sort of, you say, the importance of the moment is is we can sort of see that for now. What would have beaten it, Mike? What do you think? You know, what could have actually been number one? Is, is the fact that we job done would that be enough to be number one, or could we have beaten it by having that championship trophy? I mean, obviously, winning the title would have been amazing. A bit of redemption for for letting it slip against Sheffield Wednesday last time we went up. But ultimately, you know, it'd be. But you know, we've talked about supporters not being there. There wouldn't be able to be a the, the celebrations in Cassiobury Park. There wouldn't be an open top bus. So. It would have taken the edge off it. Let's let's save it for let's win win a win a trophy when the when the supporters can be there. I think ultimately, you know, this is mission accomplished against an incredibly difficult backdrop. We've sort of alluded to it throughout the podcast, throughout the season. Everyone knows the challenges. I think we've become more and more aware as the season has gone on just how um, precarious the financial state is of football. Scott mentioned it towards the, you know, in, on on Hive Live, just how difficult it was. Some difficult choices they made in terms of uh, the budgeting for this season. They they simply would not have been able to carry on next year. People would have lost their jobs at the football club. People have worked there for a long time. People who depend on Watford for their income, for their for their mortgages, for their family, they would have potentially lost their jobs. Obviously, the football product would have been very different. And of course, the footballing future of Watford where we expect to see Watford play in two three four five six years time you know you only have to look at league one you only have to look at the teams we're leaving behind in the in the championship to know how easy it is to go south instead of north in the in the league pyramid so for us to do it and I mean us because I think this is the the one thing that I want to finish on that the, the thing for us to have done it is absolutely mission accomplished and is by far and away the number one moment of the of the season um, and what I love, and, and, and I'm not just saying it, I do feel emotional when I think about Watford and what we've achieved this season. I do feel emotional when I think about the friends I've made um, and the experiences I've had 
as a result of supporting this amazing football club. I do feel emotional when I think about the the, the part this club plays uh, in people's lives. I do feel emotional about Watford Football Club and for it to have achieved like this and for us to all have enjoyed it in different and and, and ways that we wouldn't have, have chosen is is huge. It, it it just feels massive. And for us, it feels like we've got through it and we haven't just got through it, we've achieved. And I think everyone's come out of it smiling. And ultimately, you should, when you watch football, when you, something that you love, it should make you smile. And Watford's made us smile more often than not this season. And it's made us, it's saved the biggest smile of all for last with, with this achievement, with this promotion. Absolutely fantastic. Mission accomplished. Come on, you Orns. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns. So we come to the end of the 11th season of doing From the Rookery End. And we do want to thank you all uh, for, for spending the time by pressing play and listening to us, either on your smart speaker or on your ears uh, as you walk your dogs, which many of you seem to do. It's always fun for us to do this and to share our life as a Watford fan. Uh, and we just want to say thank you to a few people. Firstly, I want to thank the Hive Mind, Colin, Geordie and Kieran uh, and the WhatsApp group where we just talk things through uh, and it sort of starts making sense and, and, and nicely. And of course, also DCW is part of that. Uh, also want to be a thank you to him uh, and the entire team at The Athletic for everything they do to support us and to help us get this podcast out to you twice a week. And as part of that, of course, Adam Adam is the uh, the Athletic's Watford correspondent and he's been a, a big part of the podcast this season. So we're really appreciative for him spending some time with us, talking us through the articles he's written and uh, providing us audio with loads of the chats that he's had with some of the interesting people he's spoken to. So, yeah, thank you very, very much to Adam for his, uh, for his time and contributions this season. Colin Payne, Ollie Wicken, Jeff Wicken and Ian Grant and the whole team at the Watford Treasury and YBR for their contributions. Uh, I'd like to thank all the, the other Watford podcasts uh, that have started this year. Um, many of you have started in the last year. Uh, the, uh, the Watford Buzz and uh, Voices from the Vic. Uh, Do Not Scratch Your Eyes, and of course, Ronnie and Ramage, uh, who've been going a lot longer than the others. Basically, thanks, guys, for keeping us on our toes. Matt Rowson, Pete Fincham, Mike Smart, Stu Hutchinson, Francis Lynn, and a a load of other Watford fans uh, that contributed their their thoughts and their memories of two classic Watford games that we turned into little mini retrospectives this season, the the Birmingham semi-final playoff in 1999 and, of course, the 1997 Luton away game where we won 4-1. Just having those fans' memories, it was an amazing sort of process to put together and to relive these games many, many years on. This has been one of the most amazing things about doing this podcast has been having the opportunity to speak to and meet other supporters and hear their stories and to have those guys so eloquently and emotively and invocatively share the stories of those days was absolutely superb. So a whole host of people um, that have played a massive part in this podcast, not least, of course, John as well. You you wouldn't say this. So uh, on behalf of Jason, myself and everyone else, John, you, you put an incredible amount of work into this to bring it to life, to think it through, to storyboard it, your expertise makes it sound as good as it does it makes me sound a lot better than i do in normal life so thank you to you we've got to thank all our uh, girlfriends wives families uh, for putting up with us and the time we take to do this podcast uh, and we also have to thank of course uh, vladimir ivich uh, cisco munoz and all the players uh, for making choices uh, for, for for playing games of football uh, for doing them well for doing them not so well uh, but doing enough uh, to get us promoted and to give us plenty of things to talk about uh, on this podcast if you'll indulge me a little bit, I wanted to say 
Uh, a massive thanks to my brother and my two cousins, Rich and John. They're in a WhatsApp group with me. You guys know how bad I am in our WhatsApp group. I, <laughs> I worry and get negative. They oh, have to put Lordy. up with it as well. So thanks to Andy, Rich and, and John for, 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 for putting up with me and getting me through the season. Thank you also to Rich and John's mum and dad, Auntie Mary and Uncle Dave. Absolute legends. They've been listening from day one. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And also... I've mentioned him already, but Arlo, Michael Parkinson, he's been on not as much this year, but he's played a big part in the podcast and and mum as well. And I, I was thinking on the drive home about how it felt a little bit, not just how we felt at the end of last season. And I remember both Arlo and mum crying at the end of last season. Uh, and I just had a little thought for those for them, how pleased I am that this season has ended so well. And I think Arlo and mum, for me, represent what being a football supporter is like, what it's like for me, what it's like for us, what it's like for everyone that listens, what it's like for everyone in the ground. It matters, doesn't it? It, it counts to us as football supporters. We're a weird bunch. We, we care far too much, but it really does matter. And I love the fact that mum is so excited and I love the fact that Arlo is so excited. It makes it feel all worthwhile, this shared experience with people I love and care about, about this club that I love and care about is is magnificent and so thank you to to mum and Arlo for for reminding me what it's all about I love you guys and I and I love Watford and I, I love what we've achieved it's it's been an incredible emotional difficult season and together we've done it I can't wait to get started again come on you odds thank you very much Mike not at all thank you John thank you Jason uh, thank you and we'll be back in the Premier League The Athletic.